Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen begins a six-interview series on attachment and expressive arts therapies. Her first guest is psychologist and arts therapist Kathy Malchiotti discussing trauma and the expressive arts. Part two will be released on January 18th. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you here from Chaddock, and we are kicking off an exciting new series called Attachment and the Expressive Arts. And in order to start that series, we have a big name leader in the field of expressive arts joining us today, and that is Kathy Malchiotti. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Dr. Malchiotti. She is a psychologist and expressive arts therapist specializing in traumatic stress. She's the executive director of the Trauma-Informed Practices and Expressive Arts Therapy Institute, where she has provided online and live webinar training to over 20,000 practitioners around the world. She is a popular presenter and workshop leader. She's done over 700 keynotes throughout the U.S., Canada, Asia, Europe, Middle East, and Australia. She's authored 20 books, including the best-selling book, Trauma and the Expressive Arts, Understanding Children children's drawings, and she also has edited a book about using expressive arts with attachment difficulties in children. She has been also called upon to consult with many organizations in terms of disaster recovery. She's worked with the World Health Organization, the United Nations, the U.S. Department of Defense, Kennedy Center, Harvard, Johns Hopkins, and many universities, hospitals, and healthcare agencies throughout the world. In addition, she's been on a variety of other news outlets. She's been um, featured by Time Magazine, CNN, Cosmopolitan, Natural Natural Living, and U.S. News and World Report, just among a few. So we are thrilled to be having her join the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. And she will be coming right up with us just in a few seconds. So hang tight. Dr. Malchiotti, thank you so much for your willingness to join us here on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Great to be here. Yeah. 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 So um, we'll we'll be able, you know, to mention lots of your books, particularly at the end of the podcast, because you have lots of books and resources. But one that was really the inspiration I want to tell listeners about right off the bat here um, is your book, Creative Arts and Play Therapy for Attachment Problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that will be a nice one for for us to let listeners know about. So I did a more formal and introduction of you before we started all of your background and training and all the folks you've worked with in many countries. Could you share a little bit 
of your, what I like to call informal biography, how you were drawn to this work and such? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I get asked that a lot. And, and this story has evolved over the years as I keep getting asked, I keep thinking more and more about why, why two things, you know, why did I end up, I think the easy one is why did I end up using expressive work uh, in, in what I do? I started out in a, in, uh, as an artist. I started out with an art background and a Bachelor of Fine Arts and uh, had every intention of going in that direction, but I always felt uncomfortable with the studio life, which is very isolating. So, mm -hmm. you know, I started to think, well, maybe I'll teach art. But at that time, uh, there was this evolving kind of concept coming out in graduate programs that actually was art therapy, which, you know, was related to visual art. And I didn't even know what it was, but I wanted to be part of it. So I entered a graduate program in art therapy. Um, and it made a lot of sense because what I found in my own work uh, in using art was not just about art you put up on the wall, you know, and admire or get some pleasure from looking at. It was also about the fact that I felt that there was some kind of healing quality about it for myself. And I think a lot of artists may feel that way, but they may not necessarily become therapists. But I also saw in others, you know, the power of it that, you know, in creating something and putting something out in image, that there was a way of expressing without words. And this was long before we talked in the literature in therapy and mental health and trauma about what we call implicit communication. So I was engaged in this nonverbal sensory communication of all kinds of things that, you know, were, uh, you know, healing for me, reparative for me, restorative for me. So that, that was one kind of piece of the story. The other piece is uh, when you come out of uh, graduate school and you have now your new skills, and, but you're a new professional, you are looking for a job. Yes. <laughs> you, you know, you have loans to pay and you know, you want to apply, you know, what you learned also, but there's a lot of practicality to that too. The first job offer that I received, and I was so happy to receive it, to get any job offer, was with um, a program for children uh, in a domestic violence shelter. So, you know, they had, uh, co they come in that particular program, they'd come there for approximately 30 days. So it was very short term with a mother uh, and to escape violence in the family. Uh, so, you know, so I was immediately thrown into figuring out how do I use these skills that, you know, with these children and the mothers actually too, for interpersonal violence, uh, you know, to address that mm -hmm. and address as I started to learn because my learning curve was really steep that there were uh, children, obviously, who sustained abuse and assault, unfortunately, physical, sexual abuse, neglect, but also with parent, caregiver and child. The attachment issues were there. Now, we didn't talk so much about that either then, but Fortunately, the team that I worked part in as part of, we had that discussion a lot about, well, how do you use what you're doing to help these 
parent caregivers with their children to more positively attach? What can we role model through these kinds of uh, experiences? And, and at that point, I was really working in art and play. Now, I expanded that quite a bit over the decades into what is called expressive arts therapy, which we can get into as well. But that was kind of the foundation for all of this. So, you know, when you tell these stories, you do have your uh, interests that you may follow as a, as a person, as an individual, your personal experiences, but then what you fall into professionally becomes this context for yes. where you start to head, you know, and of yes. course, ever since then, I've been involved in the trauma field and in various ways. And, you know, all the people that I've seen, children, families, adults have all, you know, been referred for that reason. Yes, yes. Well, I'd like to pick up on one small piece of what you said. Uh, you said art therapy, and then you said expressive arts. I would like if you could tell listeners uh, your thoughts about some of the language around, yeah. you know, is it art therapy? Is it dance therapy? You know, there, there there's all of it. And, and I've heard you yeah. on other podcasts <laughs> and in, in your books have some very clear ways of trying to delineate how to use this language. And that might be a great thing to start yeah. with here. I know it's very confusing and it's really interesting to me that among the professional community, including those who identify as these kinds of expressive creative therapists are confused about it too. Yes. So, you know, this is the reason probably that I've written so much is almost to make the definitions public, but also to, to clarify it for myself, because I started to get confused. Well, there's, there are all these different professional names here. So one of them, which I started out in, in graduate school was strictly, a, you know, visual art and was art therapy. So using all the different art forms as a therapeutic uh, intervention. But as I started to work in trauma, I quickly realized, and I think now what we know in the research and the literature really supports this, that we need to work with all the senses. So while I was in an art therapy program, I was taking dance therapy classes. I had already been involved in theater and performance just as an individual. So I had that skill set and started to learn more about that. How does that fit into therapy? You also have music therapy as another dimension. All these are called creative arts therapies, but they're all silos, right? So there's art and there's music and there's dance movement and there's drama therapy. There's also a smaller um, group, I would say poetry therapy, but that also falls into the area of creative writing and those kinds of things. Those are all the individual therapies. But what I started to see, and I, I, children and families really taught me this, that multiple senses, integrative experiences from all those dimensions are almost a necessity in this work. So play therapists, which is another uh, concept, do this actually pretty intuitively and also based on their own knowledge of uh, effective evidence-based ways of working because they use multi-dimensions. So they, they use play and props and enactment, uh, maybe through puppets. They use sound and movement in their work. 
So I started to become more interested in what we call expressive arts therapy. And sometimes people confuse that with this creative arts thing. It sounds so similar, but that's an integrative approach of these different dimensions, these different concepts in order to help people express because not one size fits all, you know, for right. some people maybe making an image or a doodle is going to be helpful. But as I started to work with trauma and I started to work with more of the attachment issues, movement, rhythm, sound, all these things became really important, obviously, to, you know, how to help a caregiver and a child interact and the kinds of things that they could get involved in in multi-sensory ways. And I think we're pretty sure now in trauma work that those are really important dimensions to start with. But I also think in attachment work, they're pretty much foundational. So that expressive arts therapy idea gives that um, foundation for that. And I also like the word expressive better than the word creative. Now, a lot of people like creative and, you know, it's fun to be creative. Oftentimes I say people I work with, they'll ask me, but I don't think I can be creative here. I don't know if I can do this. And I'm like, it's not about that. Some days I, I went to an art school. I don't wake up creative every day. Someday the creativity just doesn't come, but yes. we all can be expressive. And that has been a great relief to, to uh, children, you know, engage in things. But when adults hear that word creative, it sometimes can be intimidating. So if I'm working with a family and I say, you know, we're just going to be expressive today. Everybody can be expressive because you can make a line on paper. You can make a movement. You can make a sound, you know, just by beating on the table. You can do these expressive kinds of things. So I, I, that's where I resonate from is that expressive arts therapy conceptual framework because I think it's liberating also for people that you work with. So now did you yourself coin that term or who who came no. up with that? Uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that popped up probably about 40 or 50 years ago from several different people, uh, some of them actually around the world, some of them on East Coast, West Coast at the same time. We have to think back contextually then. We didn't have the internet. <laughs> so you know, ideas popped up and, you know, people somehow eventually, you know, got in touch with each other. But I would say expressive arts therapy is more emergent than the creative arts therapies, all those different um, types, the art and the music and the dance movement types of approaches because I think now we have the opportunity to communicate and compare notes, so to speak, about you know, how this works, but also uh, the idea of integrative approaches, especially in trauma, seems to have become very important. But again, I would say, you know, play therapists are kind of in this parallel place of doing this kind of work in a way, the mm -hmm. uh, you know, integrative work, because they mm -hmm. use a lot of different dimensions too. So, yes. Yeah. You know, yeah, so some of what you were talking about with um, sensory and implicit memory, I'm a therapy trainer and supervisor, yeah. and a lot of the things that we talk about with therapy, I did not realize 
had an overlap mm-hmm. with maybe some of the things that you would be talking about oh, with yeah. expressive arts, such as eye contact, movement, rhythm, <laughs> and a sensory experience, a multi-sensory experience. Because one of the things that I often talk about is attachment comes in through the senses. Like it's not about, you know, words that yeah. you don't just look at the baby on a couch and say, I really love you and it's going to be okay. Like that would not do much. Um and you're in some of your writing talking about art being multi-sensory and not words. You know, you're, you're, you're saying the same thing um, yeah. about, about a different approach. So let's talk about how art is multi-sensory. I mean, that seems probably very obvious to you, uh, but I would like you to, uh, uh, you know, explain some of that for listeners. So... Well, I, let me let me maybe unpack it this way. You know, the first thing we have. Thank you. Here, unpack that. That that yeah. the phrase I was looking for and couldn't find. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. I know. <laughs> the word's back there, but it has to come forward. Um, the first thing I think, you know, about all of it, with the exception of you know the creative writing or the poetry, we've got nonverbal communication. Now that's a really interesting concept when we're thinking about attachment work. Because a lot of times we're working with early childhood, right, when there isn't that kind of verbal communication anyway. Um, but we also know now that a lot of what uh, positive attachment has in its, in, in, in its scope has to do with uh, what some people have called right brain to right brain, right? right. So uh, we don't know if this concept is really true, but it's a good way of explaining it because in the first four years, the, the right brain is the more dominant in, in children. So, you know, parents, caregivers are, if there's a good relationship and a good attachment going on, there's an attunement with the right brain to right brain through nonverbal communication. So a lot of them starting to do it here in my seat. People can't see this because you're just hearing it, but I'm rocking back and forth. I mean, this is one of the things that caregivers and parents do with children. They modulate their voice. This is another with sound in the prosody and the cadence of that. So some of these things, you know, really basic kinds of things uh, that in disrupted or in attachment don't take place because sometimes what I learned again way back in that first job that I had with working in domestic violence a lot of the caregiver parent mother did not know how to just talk with your child in a way that would regulate them and so there would be this co-regulation right brain to right brain no fault of their own this this is what was modeled to them i mean in a, in a uh, violent home there's a lot of escalation in voice right so that prosody is not there so these are just some of the things you know this basic i always said that again the three basic things in the sensory uh, continuum that I try to introduce are rhythm is the real foundation. So rhythm in movement, rhythm in sound, uh, rhythm in gesture that helps regulate and co-regulate and attune between that caregiver and child. That movement uh, is the next piece and sound, you know, those things. Because image starts to come online later on. If you think about children Anybody that has children, you know, they start to scribble maybe around two and a half, three, depends. Uh, It's different for different children. But, you know, all that image-based 
uh, stuff comes on later when actually language is developing. So, you know, that's why these principles are so important. And even though I'm talking about children, young children, a lot of this comes back and work with adults because so many adults may come back to therapy for some reason of adverse childhood experiences where they didn't receive these kinds of experiences. And we have the opportunity through expressive arts therapy and certainly even play therapy to reintroduce these sensory experiences, you know, with the therapist or facilitator being the one that's providing that foundation now, helping them re-experience. So I go back again, you know, to the work with attachment with parents or caregivers who have not had that, and they need to learn it so that they can do this now with their children as early on as possible, because earlier we know is better but they have to learn it too. So it's really, it's fascinating to me for, for one central reason. There are a lot of experts in the field of interpersonal neurobiology, a term that Daniel Siegel coined quite a few years ago now, who seem to me to be very cognitive and they're still very talking through people, <laughs> you know, giving them language and all this information, which is really good. But uh -huh. I don't know how you can do attachment work without this sensory based piece. You know, it really has to exist. Just like you have described with TheraPlay, you know, which has a large part of that uh, approach is very sensory based, right? I mean, that's my impression. Yeah. Yes, very much so. You know, and I'm thinking, and we'll maybe get to, to some other real specific intervention examples later, but one that comes to mind right now, when you talk about multi-sensory is an example that stood out in my mind in, in the book we mentioned earlier, to listeners, um, you know, about, uh, attachment problems. And you talked about a, a mother and a child opening a box of crayons together and mm -hmm. that the, the, the child had always wanted a new 64 count mm -hmm. box of crayons <laughs> and that was something you can make happen. Um, and so you did. And I thought about that. And I even thought back to my own childhood of the smell of the crayons and opening, even the actual opening of that sort of almost cracking open that box and the smell of the crayons and, and all of that. And I was really thinking, wow, something that simple. And you had them pay attention to those things. Now we're almost pulling in mindfulness, but, um, and, um, that, that just really stood out to me along with um, you're talking about how art and drawing are bilateral and mm -hmm. stimulation and, and stimulating both working on both sides of the body. So talk to me a little bit more about that example you gave in the book about opening the crayons. And, and I, 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 it was so evocative for me to think about the smell of crayons you right. know because we all know that smell from childhood or many of us it's interesting about that example too and this is not to jump away from the the 
caregiver child relationship, but working with a group of adults at one point who had all been sexually abused as children. They were adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Uh, and this was in a mental health agency and it was a program where we met for eight weeks as a group. That was one of the things I did was bring in a box for everyone, a box of new crayons and fascinating to see all the different reactions. Uh, you know, but the plan was actually they had determined they wanted to, you know, address some uh, drawing, some memories. And we never got to the memories because everybody spent so much time with that sensory experience of opening that box. For some people, they remembered getting that. and But there were other people who never got that. And they, what I, you know, they were very... very uh, going through a, a feeling of loss and almost betrayal that they never had that experience with a mm -hmm. caregiver parent uh, that to open a box of crayons together and to just smell that look at them and touch them and have the newness of this and have it be gifted to them by somebody significant so many different things evoked from that you know so that's why this work it can look really simple on the, the surface, but there can be so many things that are happening uh, with our sensory memory, our implicit memory yes. that evokes the explicit memory, the start to tell stories about it. Now, those explicit memories may not be completely accurate because we don't all remember every single detail from way back in our early childhood, but the story is important. That's the other thing that's really fascinating about this work, and I think we're getting closer to understanding it. If you tap this implicit sensory kind of thing, it stimulates the storytelling, it stimulates the narrative. So oftentimes, and, and you know, this is the work of trauma researchers, when trauma has been deep, long lasting, complex, sometimes again, the verbal communication is not there because actually physiologically the brain turns off that mm -hmm. language part of the brain. So mm -hmm. that to me is the most fascinating study because this sensory based which is more right brain. It's not totally right brain. Nothing's that simple, but it's more geared towards that right part of the brain and that implicit experience seems to start to reconnect those two. The language starts to come back online, you know? So for adults, this is a very powerful thing around reconnecting are able to make the narration that they've always tried to get at. Uh, the sensory stimulates that more logical language comprehension all that in the brain for some reason I, I i'm just so excited to find out like why is that i think you know a lot of the scientists are getting closer to that about how those senses integrate how those two hemispheres integrate for that reason and you know one really good example in a normal childhood whatever we want to define as normal but a caregiver parent is when the child starts to draw things, we naturally will sit there with the child and, and ask a lot of questions, you know? So we're stimulating language, but also language is starting to come online then, you know, at around the ages of three and four and, you know, in a big way. Uh, but 
the making of a drawing, for example, you know, is such an important thing to for a parent caregiver to sit there with a child and watch that process and then ask all those silly questions. You know, can you tell me more about that drawing? Because all that's coming together developmentally. Mm -hmm. So again, we look at when people have had disrupted attachment, they may not have had that experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, So even think about that with a teenager, young adult, adult of any age coming into a session with you and you're doing this very simple task. It's not that simple. They're starting to, you know, maybe stories are starting to come online because the sensory has been stimulated and somehow the language starts to come forward through that. Yeah, I think we amazing. Yes, yes. And I think part of what you're talking about, um, we experience in therapy sessions where it's not just the parent that's I mean, it's just not just the child, excuse Mm -hmm. me, that's benefiting from this, but the parent. And so Mm -hmm. I hear you bringing up a lot of examples where the the process of art or or whatever expressive arts um, is being employed. You know, it's, it's not when you're working with a parent-child dyad, it's not just about the child, you know, something yeah. is happening in the parent and the child and in that relationship together, which is what attachment's all about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, you go ahead, were you gonna say something no. else? No, I was just thinking, I mean, it's just fascinating work. I'm never bored by it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. One of the things we have to set in place for, Any restoration, you know, which is kind of, I call it the end game, you know, restoration, feeling whole again, you know, uh, creating that sense of joy and curiosity, enlivenment, empowerment in any individual has to do with setting in place these two things, which is the regulation and that person. And it comes right along with it, almost parallel, or maybe it's even a necessity, that co-regulation, because all healing occurs in relationship. Doesn't matter what technique, you know, I'm advocating these sensory methods, this expressive arts therapy approach. You know, you could be advocating play therapy, fair play, but it all is contingent on how well we help somebody regulate and how they co regulate eventually, because that's where the regulation actually is. We regulate through others, we regulate through the senses in, in, you know, in that co regulatory relationship. Yes, yes. Well, Dr. Malchiotti, thank you so much for joining us for the first part of this interview about expressive arts and attachment. Listeners, uh, please join us next week as I continue my conversation with Dr. Malchiotti about using expressive art therapies in attachment work. Yeah, I'm looking forward. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattuck.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchattuck.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.